Welcome to the Retail Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're talking about the evolution of retail consumers with Andrew Busby of Retail Reflections, a UK-based retail consultancy. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, my pleasure. Over the last few years, um, certainly consumers have responded to retailers and, and shown that they are changing and they're evolving. So let's talk about what some of those changes are and then how retailers are responding to this change. Yeah, so I think that um, we've become, uh, as consumers, we've become a lot more uh, what I call savvy. Um, and for me, they're really, and, that, and that, that's had a big bearing on our, on our shopping habits. And for me, there are two underlying reasons for that. And they were both around about 10 years ago. Um, so the first was when um, Steve Jobs got up at Macworld in um, early 2007 and launched the first iPhone. Um, so we didn't realize it at the time, but basically what that gave us as consumers was the power to, and, and it, it it fundamentally shifted the relationship that we have with um, with retail brands. So that was the, the first thing. And then secondly, which came not long after that, was uh, the financial um, crisis. And of course, in the US, it was a subprime, and that then had a knock-on effect um, around the globe. And what that did was it gave consumers the incentive to to be that that much as I say, I call it savvy, it, it's, it's clever. And, and so it changed our shopping habits. It changed the way we went shopping. It changed our, our outlook on it. And um, we started to, um, whereas before we may not have shopped perhaps um, in uh, discount stores, some of us, um, then all of a sudden, almost overnight, they became very much um, mainstream. Uh, and so, our loyalty changed as well with, with that. So we wouldn't necessarily stick with the same brands that perhaps we always had done and our parents before us. We would be um, what I called um, uh, butterfly consumerism. So in other words, we would land on a particular brand and we might be loyal through that transaction, but then it would be very much fleeting and we'd go off um, to another brand so, so our behaviour as consumers and shoppers has, has changed out of all recognition. And I think that um, a lot of uh, more established retail brands have struggled to keep up with that. Right. Well, certainly we see this in terms of businesses that don't take the competition seriously. Um, of course, you know, Apple versus Nokia and how Nokia just didn't think that smartphones and keyboards that were electronic were really going to take off. I think then the impact it had on retail, did retailers not see apps and shopping, mobile shopping, how that was going to be an absolute necessity in the next generation? I don't think anybody really um, could have, um, you know, if we, if we wind back, I mean, 10 years, you know, isn't, isn't that long ago. And, and I'm not sure whether any of us uh, were really able to see a bit like, it's very difficult to see how we're going to be shopping and what the landscape will look like uh, 10 years from now when we're, you know, we'll be rapidly approaching 2030. But certainly, um, particularly, as I said earlier, the, the more well-established, and, and by that, what I mean is retailers who um, uh, started as bricks and mortar, and of course, then they had to move into um, online, 
Typically, um, you know, in the US, you've got the likes of Sears and Macy's and JCPenney. In uh, the UK, uh, we've got, which is very topical at the moment, um, uh, people like House of Fraser, uh, Debenhams, Marks and Spencer. So these are all uh, department stores with a lot of space. And of course, 10 years ago and, and further back than that, uh, success was kind of, apart from sales, obviously, and the usual sorts of um, you know, uh, profit margin and so forth. But success was kind of seen to be in the, the growth of your sales uh, floor square footage. Uh, and of course, now that's been turned completely on its head. And all these brands, and certainly all the ones that I've just mentioned, are rapidly trying to uh, reduce uh, the amount of um, square footage they have. But that isn't um, particularly easy uh, because I mean, I'm, I'm uh, obviously based in the UK and so I'm, I'm kind of UK centric in, in, in this, but I, I'd imagine that it applies elsewhere, uh, but locked into very, very long leases. Um, so even though they, they want to have less space because they want to be more nimble, more agile, they want to be able to compete with the newer um, startups. And by that, you know, those are you know, a lot of different brands um, in the UK, the likes of ASOS and Boohoo are, are two good examples of this, uh, which aren't that old, uh, and yet they don't have that same uh, overhead that the um, more traditional retailers have. And they've started from a completely um, different position. So, um, yeah, you, you could say, is, is it um, a level playing field? Um, and, and of course, in many ways, it's not. But uh, then that's not the fault of the. Um, online pure play startups you know they're, they're changing the game they're changing the rules and the, the old ways no longer apply but unfortunately uh, a lot of these um, older brands are still stuck in their old ways of working right and certainly those that don't evolve get left behind so you'd, you'd pointed out the the two ways that consumers have gotten savvy one uh, just the evolution of um, Steve Jobs and the iPhone. And the second that you mentioned was the financial crisis, both here in the U.S. and uh, the ramifications abroad. You mentioned something that, that's interesting to me, though, that uh, you said that consumers got more savvy. Do you mean that they got more frugal? They did. They, they got smarter. Um, so, and again, if going back... 10 years. Now, certainly in the UK, things like Black Friday weren't around then. I think it's been the last five years that uh, we've uh, imported that uh, from across the uh, across the Atlantic. Um, so it was a very different landscape. And, and what's happened is that people now, so in the UK and in Europe, I'm thinking, let's take discount grocers like Lidl and Aldi. The same goes that 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen a BMW or a Mercedes or whatever in their car parks. Now that's completely different. And, and so, in other words, being cleverer, being smarter uh, about our shopping, uh, hunting out bargains, saving money on our, let's say, our, our everyday household shopping is now seen to be smart. Whereas 10, 12, 15 years ago, we didn't kind of have that mindset. And I think that the, the, uh, the financial crisis, it changed our, our shopping behavior pretty much irreversibly. Uh, and, and it's not obviously just grocery, it, it applies to particularly fashion. 
where we've got used to uh, being able to buy a, uh, a T-shirt for two pounds or a pair of jeans for ten pounds and, and so forth through you know better sourcing and and uh, and so on and so forth and, and some of the brands that specialise in these things we've got used to much cheaper goods and I think for me one of the most interesting thing is that uh, now it, it could be quite common for somebody to uh, one day shop uh, uh, with a discounter and let's say they 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 buy there. 10 pound pair of jeans or whatever but the next day they might be in a um a high end you know buying expensive shirts or trousers or dress or, or or whatever and think nothing of that well rewind the clock and and attitudes were quite a bit different you would generally stay as a consumer within a certain sector and within a certain uh, price point uh, depending on what what it was, as I say, whether it's grocery or fashion or, or electricals or, or what have you. I see what you're saying. So, whereas a consumer, a you know, a one percenter would have just stay stayed in the very high end retail and was perfectly fine and comfortable, um, full price for for everything. The the attitudes or I guess the appetites changed where they started to realize that there was a smarter way to shop. But they may also realize that several thousand dollar Louis Vuitton, they could very easily go to one of these high-end resale boutiques and pick up the same purse for, you know, half the price that, that's only maybe a season old. So, so you're saying that they started to realize that there's smarter ways to shop for certain things. Yes, that's, yeah, absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. So, so we, we've become far more discerning as uh, consumers. And when we look at it from a generational point of view, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the baby boomer generation. And of course, our attitudes and so on and so forth are completely different to some of the younger. And I'm not just thinking of millennials here. I'm thinking of the generation behind them, Generation uh, Z, who, you know, typically ones with some spending power, we're talking about late teens, just about early 20s. They have a different attitude. It's not necessarily about collecting stuff. It's more about experiences. So they they might prefer to spend their money on a nice meal out as opposed to something material. Well, I'd love to talk more about uh, what this Generation Z, how they shop, uh, and and you hit on it exactly that um, something we've read continuously is that the Generation Z, they're not interested in stuff and, and accumulating things. They're interested in experiences. So how can a retailer compete with, um, you know, I guess, attract really these, these uh, Generation Z consumers that aren't necessarily interested in the, the widgets that they're selling in their shop? Well, it's an interesting um, one. And one other thing I'll just uh, um, highlight as well, and apologies for my English. So, yeah, I call them Generation Z and it's Generation Z. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If I was cool enough to pull off the Z, I would. But And there's actually a number of myths of it when we're, uh, about, uh, uh, about Generation Z. They, um, so one of them is that they prefer to shop online. Well, there was a study that which was commissioned by um, IBM and the NRF, the National Retail Federation, which was published at the NRF conference in New York in January this, this year. And one of the really fascinating things that it found was, and they, they did a, a poll of uh, 15,000, Generation said, across 16 countries. So it was um, uh, US, UK, Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, primarily, 
And what it found, one of the, the, the most amazing figures was that 96% of Generation Z said that they prefer to shop in store. Now, I know that's not necessarily answering your question, but what it's saying is that for retailers to attract them, their expectations are that much higher. So stores which have been successful for decades are no longer necessarily fit for purpose. So, and of course, this is where, you know, there's, there's an industry which has grown up uh, around customer experience, a whole industry which has grown up around it and experiential retail and so on and so forth. But, but for me, fundamentally, what, um, what it means is that what we are, um, all of us, but particularly the, the younger generations are looking for is, is a, a different stimulus. We're looking for something which is different, exciting, uh, inspiring. We're looking for something which is frequently changing. So we don't want just the, the same stock to, to be there. We don't want the same look and feel and layout and so on and so forth. So in other words, retailers have got to give people a reason to keep on going back, particularly some of the fashion retailers where they are stuck in the seasonal cycle of uh, spring, summer, autumn, winter. You know, in the UK at the moment, we're, we're basking in temperatures of nearly 30 degrees and have been for some weeks. And yet there are fashion retailers now who are already starting to bring out their autumn collections. That's just crazy. You know, it's, it's not going to work. Um, but but they're, they're stuck in, in that particular cycle. Their infrastructures and the, the, their whole... And, and to get to the, the real nuts and bolts of this, you have to look inside these organisations um, and understand how they how they operate. As I say, quite frankly, many of them are, are simply no longer fit for purpose for today's consumer. Right. The way that the supply chain and all of the all of the various pieces that go into what I would say is probably the bane of, of most people's um, retail existence is, you know, this idea of seeing holiday and Christmas uh, decorations before you've even hit, hit Thanksgiving and now even creeping closer to, to Halloween. You're saying, I mean, that is a symptom of the the way that retailers have always done things. I mean, it sounds like they've got a very tall task ahead of them. Well, they have um, because, as I said earlier, the, these younger, um, and, I, and I called out ASOS and Boohoo because they are very good examples. I mean, they're, they're much, much younger, and they, they started from a completely different um, position uh, in terms of their uh, their structure, their organizational structure, their particularly their IT infrastructure and their supply chain. And so they're far more agile and, and far more flexible. I mean, to give an example, ASOS, every week they introduced 5,000 new products to their um, online store. And, and it's that sort of flexibility which some of the uh, these other you know, bricks and mortar who have now had to move into online uh, are simply unable to uh, to compete with but yeah you mentioned there about the the, the seasonal and and um, yeah one thing it, it always it's happened in the last number of years and it, and it it never fails to both amaze and frankly irritate me um, so in I'm sure you you've heard of them in, in London uh, there's a great department store it's a it's a fantastic store um, Selfridges on um, Oxford Street and of course Oxford is right in the centre of London, and it gets an awful lot of um, tourists. And um, so, guess what? Last week, so last week, actually, yeah, I think it might have been a, a week ago today, first of August. Selfridges opened their Christmas shop. No. And Frank, and they do that 
about this time uh, in very early August every year, I have done for the last few years. The reason they say they do it is because the um, foreign tourists love it because they can pick up all their um, you know, lovely Christmas baubles and bits and bobs and so on and so forth uh, whilst uh, they're here in the summer uh, and they've got them all ready for, for Christmas. But you know, I, I frankly think that it, it's, um, you know, it's almost, you almost feel like there should be a law against it. it it's, you know, right. It's 30 degrees outside and the sun is shining and, and people are doing Christmas shopping. It, it's, I think the, yeah, that, that, that's kind of quite an extreme example, but certainly it is a truth that, particularly in fashion and fast fashion, and um, another who does this very well is, uh, is Zara, who is owned by Inditex. And, and they're very, very effective at this because they manufacture a lot of their own, uh, uh, their own garments. And so, from catwalk to to store, to, um, it is is a matter of weeks. The key thing here is that that is now our expectation as consumers, and so anything less than that, we we won't entertain the idea. Are there are there examples that you're seeing from um, some of the fast fashion, like Uniqlo, for example, some of those retailers that are kind of bringing the experience into the store um, or, or I guess some some retailers that you see that are doing experience very well to appeal to the the generation Z yeah Uniqlo is a good uh, a, a good example but it, it's still it, it's, it's still kind of based around um, some better visual merchandising um, and, and I think that what we're going to see, over the next, I don't know, I, I don't like to look out much more than three years or even three months sometimes because yeah, it's so difficult to uh, to predict and, and um, uh, the, the crystal ball tends to go a little bit opaque after three years. But if we look at a few years, I think we're going to see that the, the whole concept of uh, customer experience is going to change in a number of different ways. So it's going to change in terms of... Um, making um, checkout and payment a lot um, slicker. Um, so that will you know, be mobile around the store. Whether, um, whether we have um, uh, checkout-less uh, stores, uh, whether that becomes commonplace, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Like Amazon, right? I was trying to avoid mentioning the £600. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, but now you have. The A word. Uh, I mean, yeah, but that, that's quite interesting because the technology there it isn't it isn't there yet because although they haven't admitted it, if you um, take your five year old child in there and five year olds uh, being five year olds they will pick up stock from one shelf and put it back on a completely different shelf uh, and that that will um, uh, that will muck up the system. Uh, so, but you know that's not to say that there isn't a place for for that sort of thing, but. Um, you know, for the last few years, we've um, a good few years really. We we've seen that um, stores will they'll, they'll put a coffee shop into the store. Well, you know, that that's you know we're going to see things which are, are far more um, uh, advanced, if you like, than uh, uh, than that. You know, people have uh, they they've been retailers have been told well you need to digitize your business, and so people rush out and they'll buy. Uh, digital screens and put those up. Well, that's not the answer either. Um, what stores have got to be is a great place, a great space to, to be, to spend time. And what they've also got to move away from is the idea of selling first. 
So what I mean by that is that traditionally, uh, and you know, one of the one of the key retail uh, KPIs, performance indicators, is sales per square foot. Well, they have to move away from that uh, and and treat their stores as somewhere where first and foremost people want to spend time, uh, and then the sales will come as a result of that. Um, and and this is a this is a fundamental shift and um, quite difficult for uh, for many because you know, the, the, their whole retail businesses have been driven by certain metrics and and they're no longer necessarily um, relevant. So one that I would say that, that uh, retailers, now the technology is available through facial recognition and artificial intelligence and so forth and machine learning is, you know, how is my customer feeling today? Are they in a good mood? Um, are they in a bad mood? What's been happening in their lives the last few days, week, or whatever? What are their preferences? You know, all of that information is available, uh, and retailers need to start getting a lot smarter about using technology to improve the customer experience. As we start to wind down, um, I, I have a, a final question for you, Andrew. So with your your expansive view of the industry, what's the very last thing that you've learned or that surprised you to, to find out whether whether it comes to trends or or experience or technology being used in store? What's what's the most interesting last thing you, you learned? Well, on the one hand, nothing surprises me because, you know, we're, we're going through because we're going through such a period, I don't call it a revolution, and I don't refer to the retail apocalypse and death of the high street and all those sorts of things, but we're, we're going through a rapid evolution and a, and a pace of change which we've never in any of our lifetimes have, have witnessed before. And, and I think the biggest things that I've learned is that people talk about disruptors in retail and they're usually referring to technology and startups and so on and so forth but actually it's us it, it's the it's a consumer we're the biggest disruptor for the reasons that we've discussed um, and we will continue uh, to be the biggest disruptor the thing that always interests me is why is that the case and what is driving that and I think fundamentally we are all, and particularly generationally, so Generation Z that we talked about earlier, they are far more um, technology literate. We know, you know, we all, you know, if you, you see a five-year-old, they, they they can operate a smartphone, you know, quite, you know, naturally. Um, so what's driving this is technology and the most recent experience that involves it just becomes the norm. So we are now expecting completely different levels of service. So we're expecting um, something that we order online today and we expect it to be delivered tomorrow or the same day. Uh, in just a, a few years' time, uh, as a kind of a parting thought, I think what, what will come to differentiate retail brands will be their ability to deliver whenever and wherever we want those goods. Clearly, we're a long way off from um, being able to purchase a haircut online. Yeah, there's pretty much most other things you can probably uh, purchase online. And it's going to be that final mile fulfillment delivery capability, which will come to define retail brands. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. 
And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more, listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and creative video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk.